What's up, everybody? I'm Matt Hausfetter. You're listening to the Right Who You Know podcast. This is episode three. Uh, welcome back. Today on the podcast, I'm having my dear friend, uh, Peter Warren. He is uh, a screenwriter. He writes TV shows. He writes movies. He writes plays. He runs uh, an online drive-in movie theater called the Black Hole Monoplex that you should check out. That's free and awesome and totally cool. I think they play movies every Sunday. Um, There's not much he doesn't do, and it's annoying because he does all of them well. Um, but he's an incredible writer, and I'm so glad that he's joining us. This podcast is actually being done uh, transatlantically, as Peter is located in New York City, and I'm in Los Angeles. So bear with us if it uh, doesn't sound as great as the rest of them do. Um, it does still sound pretty great. I'm just, you know, Peter is, uh, we're talking over Zoom as opposed to talking in person in my little studio garage. The thing uh, about Peter that uh, he, he he's so humble and he will never tell you that he is brilliant or that he's my secret script doctor or that when I get stuck or I have a problem, I call him and he has helped me fix so many fucking pilots, uh, story areas, beat sheets, whatever. Just like, you know, the reason we have this podcast is so that you can know that, yeah, sure, I'm doing this alone in my room, but I have people that I can call upon to help me when I get stuck or when I need a, a sounding board or an extra voice in the room. And Peter is that for me. And now, you know, he is also it for uh, Taika Watiti at times and Jermaine Clement, because they're writing a script together called the InCal. Um, Charlie Day, they're doing a project together. Um, John Travolta. I mean, dude, the, the guy makes me nuts. It's so annoying how successful he is. And he's also younger than me, um, which makes it double worse. But in all honesty, Peter is one of the best dudes uh, I know. He married my wife and I, and he's an incredible writer. So sit back, pop open a bottle, light a doob if you need to. I know it usually helps me. And get ready for episode three of Write Who You Know with Peter Warren. Pass. Nope. We love Matt. It's just a really hard time right now. The industry's contracting. Come back to us and give some bigger attachments. Tell them right what you know. No, tell them right who you know. Peter. Matt. Uh, guys, welcome back to another wonderful episode of Right Who You Know. Uh, I'm here with my dear friend, uh, Peter Warren, who is an excellent writer and someone that I look up to and love and think is brilliant. So, Peter, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, Peter, I actually met Peter when I was an assistant back. What year was that, dude? Um, oh God, I don't know. 2000 and like 13, 14, maybe. Yeah, I think so. I think so. But, uh, I was an aspiring writer. Peter was an actual writer. Um, we met. The I don't know about, I don't know about that. I'm we still met not the quite Sherman. We we met the first night that uh, he was out here for like our welcome to this show party. Um, and Peter, I just wanted to make sure he was all right. So I texted him later that night. Does my dog need a place to bark? And he sent me back a DMX gif. And uh, we've been friends ever since. Yeah, that's uh, how friendships are made. We were working on an MTV show called Happy Land. It was a one season, half hour, hour? It was an hour? Half hour. Half hour. Uh, sort of teen soap set behind the scenes of a of a like a Disney World type theme park. Yeah. Um. 
What I and want look at is, us now on a podcast. Yeah, look at us now doing a, a Zoom podcast in the year of our Lord, twenty twenty three. This uh, is great. Do we have to like? Do we have to thank you, sponsors? Do we have to thank your sponsors? I wish. Honestly, this is like you're the second one that I've done of these. Um, I did one where I like just a brief intro and talk about myself and my process. Um, and then uh, another buddy, and then you. So I, I don't know is the answer. Uh, well, let's let's get some. You know what I mean? Like shout out to Little Caesars Pizza Pizza. I would love Mail Camp. I would love Sherry's Berries. I would yeah. love. Dude, let's any. get edible arrangements over here. Get them on the phone. Uh, sh- a shout out to Kiva and Camino. These are just companies that I like. <laughs> Pod Tone, um, BMW. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Here I am. Totally. I love um, it. But Peter, the real reason I had you here, uh, other than I like you personally um, and I think you're brilliant, is you have a really interesting journey into writerdom or professional writerdom or whatever we can consider that these days. But I just would love for you to tell us a little bit about what made you want to choose this as a career path and how you know you used what, what few resources you had before you had an agent and really knew anyone in the business and jump-started uh, your career yeah um it's a story for sure i mean i'll, I'll do this sort of I'll, I'll try and keep this this brief um but you know i grew up in the suburbs of boston massachusetts i you know i'd always been into i wanted to do something with theater or film or entertainment um i just didn't really know what uh, I, you know i think especially like as a kid there's not a lot of like, I really want to grow up and be a television writer. Like it's, I mean, maybe for some kids, but I think it was more like I was in the school play, did that kind of stuff. And, you know, I knew, I knew the stuff I didn't want to do. I knew I didn't want to be an actor. Um, I knew, or I thought that I didn't want to be like a film director. Cause that seems like, like the cool kids that knew everything about like Francis Ford Coppola and, and like cared about lenses. Like I just, like I knew I wasn't like a film school guy. But uh, I really liked theater and I liked directing theater. I was doing that a little bit in high school. Um, and then I didn't really Wait like Wait a second, Peter. In... When you say directing theater in high school, was there like yeah. a specific production? Were you doing musicals? Were you putting on a, a stage adaptation of Gaslighting? Give us a little bit. Yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. My, se- my senior year of high school, I directed a play, mounted a play um, called Mounted, Accomplice. unbelievable. Uh-huh. Mounted, yeah, I mounted. Yeah, we trod the boards, mounted the, mounted the, mounted the boards. Um, we, no, I put the, I did this show that was, it was called Accomplice. It was basically sort of like a, um, kind of like a noises off murder mystery farcy thing. It was written by Rupert Holmes, who you may know as the guy who wrote the Pina Colada song. You know, if you like Pina Colada's oh, yeah, okay. in the Rain. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, but then he also did this. Um, he and I also met many years later and he was very, very mean to me. So don't meet your heroes. <laughs> I mean, I heroes have a similar story with Bourdain. Go on. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, you gotta be careful <laughs> with that. But anyway, so I didn't really get into like many colleges. Like there was ones that I really wanted to go to or thought I was gonna go to, and I didn't. Like I got like rejected like almost across the board. And uh one of the only places that I got in was NYU, which took the common the common application. Like I didn't really look into NYU or visit, I was just sort of like chucked one, but they let me in, which is amazing. And it's a great school. Um, but I was in their like arts, I got into their arts and sciences department, which is like regular liberal arts, not like the Tish, which is the art school. And so, but I was like, New York is cool. My sister lived in New York. I wanted to hang out with her. And so I was like, okay, I'll do that. And so I showed up being like, you know, arts and sciences, like I'll do the arts half. 
And they were like, no, you moron. Like, that means, like, liberal. It means, like, history. Like, this is why you didn't get any, any colleges, <laughs> moron. And so I was, like, I was very, very, very unhappy um, because I just felt like I was not in the right place. And I, I knew is a lot of people were doing year? You felt, you felt like This you is my right? freshman year. Yeah. So I figured I was, like, I'm going to drop out of school, like, or do something different. And so I started just living, like, like a retired mom like all my i just burnt my credits on like new drawing classes in italian you know like it was just like a nancy myers movie it was great and so because i was like, i'm not gonna take these core classes i'm not gonna be here um and then i was getting ready to leave and i there was an older student i knew and he was like hey you know you seem miserable um and like i'm your ra and like i would be great if you didn't like kill yourself on my watch and he was like, listen, I'm in this like small department in Tisch, the art school that's just conservatory, like screenwriting. Like, do you ever think you might want to might want to do that? And it was like a light bulb went off where I was like, that is what I want to do forever. And it was like, I think this mixture of being like, I love writing. I've always loved writing. And it, that felt like my niche within all of this stuff. But also, to be honest, I was thinking about this the other day. I think it felt like something at that time that I could like compete with you know what i mean like i was like that's a, a place where i could work really really hard and like you know have an have an a role or an identity like i felt like i was like i can swim in those waters you did know? you ever like and, write short stories or like do creative writing in high school that made yeah you no like, i like, totally like, did i wrote i did like I, I wrote on like my high school's like humor newspaper and wrote little stuff and plays and skits and things you know things like that but i mean i never took it seriously um i did some so i remember doing like this like like got into this like playwriting thing when i was in high school like, i was always into it to a degree but there isn't a lot of resources for that when you're growing up you know maybe yeah. there is actually i mean you grew up in la and there's a lot more like film industry out there maybe there's more more of that but you know there wasn't a whole lot you know that i was aware of but it was you know so i i i lied my way in like i had to create this whole portfolio to, to apply, you had to, you know, give them excerpts of all these screenplays you'd written. And I hadn't written any, but so I just wrote fake excerpts. They were like, these are the first five pages of my full-length screenplay that I really hope you don't ask to see. And it was like that, like I wrote all of these things, but they took me. And so I showed up a year late um, in the dramatic writing department, uh, you know, with a bit of a, like a little bit of like a chip on my shoulder, to be honest. Because I think I felt really like... I hadn't belonged in a place in a while. And so I felt like really determined to like kind of outwork and out hustle everybody. And eventually I like mellowed out, but you know, definitely uh, I, I showed up with like a lot of like pent up creative energy and, and ambition. And so, you know, I knew that the, you know, the one thing I could control is I knew I could work really hard, um, you know? And so I was doing a lot of, I was writing a ton obviously for school. And then I was also interning like anywhere that would have me. So I was at like the, I was at a reality TV company. I was uh, an intern at the Colbert Report. I was, uh, and then I was an intern at Focus Features twice. Wow. Uh, and that ended up, yeah, it was, I mean, that was back, back when Focus was still in New York, sort of like the last studio that was really here. And my senior year, I promise I'm getting to the end of the story. No, it's great. But my senior year, um, there was, my department was like, hey, we have this playwright doing like a guest intensive for a few nights. And I had noticed I was working at Focus as an assistant, basically a free assistant to the president of production. And David I saw Lindy? that- Is that who that was at the time? Sorry? Was it David Lindy? It wasn't. Lindy was there. Um, Lindy was, I believe, uh, LA based. 
um, at the yeah. time. I was there Incredible working for recall. a guy named Matt Pleff, who went on to run, and I think still does, Material Pictures, Toby McGuire's company. So I had seen that this playwright, whose name was Young Jean Lee, is really amazing playwright. She's the first Asian-American playwright on Broadway. She's super cool. Um, I had seen that she was on my boss's like calendar, like they were going to have a general. And I was like, well, she clearly is like in the game. She knows what's up. So I took her intensive and we kept in touch. And when I graduated, I sort of checked in with her and she ended up passing my stuff to her manager who became my manager. Uh, and he signed me like the November after I graduated. And we started, um, you know, at about the bottomest bottom rungs of writing that you <laughs> that you can do my my very first deal he like repped at the time i think some like indie producers at who needed like sub guild work my very first i got hired to write this script off of like a log line and i was paid uh like a little over seven thousand dollars for a few you know what I mean? like mm-hmm. i started at the bottom and yeah. it was rough for a few years and it's still kind of rough to yeah. be honest but it's been uh, almost like 15 years now and it's been really, you know, it's been a ride. <laughs> are you still, and are you still with the same manager? Yeah. That was the America's Dan Halstead. That's an incredible, that's an incredible story because I feel like so many people there, so many writers or people that want to be writers or consider themselves writers, they put such a uh, high value on like getting your first agent or getting your first manager. And it's so hard. And, you just happened to use the resources you had at your disposal and lo and behold, you fell into a great relationship. Yeah. I mean, I will say though, just for, you know, for clarity and context. So that was my manager and he signed me. I mean, he, he represented basically a producer who was like, I need someone to write this script and in hooking him up with me sort of like had to represent me in that deal and got stuck with me. Then it was years before I got an agent. And I really wanted one. I remember like pushing him on it. I'm like, can I get an agent? And he at one point sat me down and was like, listen, I would love for you to have an agent. Like I'm very pro agent. No one wants to sign you. So <laughs> it was still like, there was still so many uh, like obstacles and hurdles along the way. And then I got, I mean, I was probably with him and working, working ish, you know, for maybe five years before I signed to CAA. Yep. So, yeah, it was definitely not an overnight thing. What and what was like your so your first professional I quote unquote was uh this feature that you wrote for $7,000? Yep. What was what what was like the first thing that you felt like, "Oh, I've like did you feel like, "Oh, I made it" or like I figured it out when you had done that or like was it not until you got your first staffing gig where I met you or a, a different feature credit? Like what was the thing that you feel like made you were you were able to plant your flag and be like Peter Warren is here. You have to deal with him now. Yeah, no. I mean, I never. I I don't know that I ever felt like there were definitely some concrete moments of success that felt important or like they like leveled up my career. But I definitely felt like I started at the the absolute bottom rung that you can as a writer, and that I've been on every single rung in between like there wasn't you know were there some moments where i felt like i moved up sure but like this the job i got after i wrote that feature for seven thousand dollars was i got one to write one for fifteen thousand dollars you know what i mean like it was like i truly did grind it upwards i would say maybe though you know 
like, you know, I, I'm very, I try to be very open about all these kinds of things. Like that first $7,000 project was a disaster that I almost got fired off of. Like it really, you know, that was to me when I smacked into the learning curve after school of like the dissonance between writing education or artistic education and working professionally. And actually I've started teaching this year at NYU. And part of the reason I went back was to, to hopefully alleviate a little bit of that delta for students. Cause I hit it really, really hard. Like I got, you understand how this stuff works. You get paid in steps, right? So my, yeah. my first step was $2,500, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I then flailed so badly that Dan, my manager had to take me out to dinner to be like, it's all good. If this like, isn't a fit, I can like work it out. So you can like keep that. And then like, I, and, and that, devastated me but it also blew my mind because i was like i didn't realize that i thought we made this deal like i didn't realize i could lose some of this money back like i already spent it all you know like i i don't know and so like it was really that was a wake-up call for me but i think maybe the first moment that felt decent was the script after that where i got paid uh, a whole 15 grand for like a year and a half of work and was starving in new york that was the first script though that i wrote and i'm sure you remember you know, when this was for you, that script was the first one that kind of resonated with people. Like it was my sample for like 10 years, even after I've a ton of other stuff. Yeah. That was the freeway. That was the um, first thing I've read of yours. And that's what immediately made me be like, this guy can write. Truly. Oh, it's very like, sweet. I mean, no, dude, I'm, it's not even bullshit. Like when I was an assistant and we met on happy land, I said, give me something you wrote and you sent me the three-way and I read it in like an hour um, and I, you were in the writer's room and I was like texting you from my computer. Like, this is so good. Blah, 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 blah. No, it's anyway, very, very I want you to, you, sorry, sorry. No, 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 no. But I'm saying that it was the first one that had that reaction with at least a decent amount of people. Like, and we all know those, those moments in your career where you write something and you're like, this is fucking good. And yet like the world doesn't ever really seem to agree with you. Like yeah. you're trying to force people into being like, you're like, isn't this fucking amazing? And they're like, yeah, no, it definitely was, you know, it's good. But then there's the ones where you're like, it just seems to hit well, which by the way, doesn't usually have any bearing on its success and whether it gets made or that kind of thing. But like, there's that first script that feels like people are having like an emotional reaction to the work. It's doing the thing that a piece of art should, which is it's for whatever reason, it's meaningful to others. And it doesn't need to be set up and sold by me and my personality. It's like they read it cold and they're like, that was really good. That was sort of the first one. And I think after that gave me a bit of confidence, right? Because there is always this feeling in writing where you're like, I've done it once. Like I know I've at least put out something in the past that has worked. So when you're frustrated or something isn't working, that helps get you through because you're like, I, one of the hardest parts of your career is when you're first starting and you haven't necessarily like written your first decent thing yeah. because you have no sense of you're like, maybe I can't, ever do that you know whereas once you've done it once you have a whole different set of problems but at least you you have that to fall back on where you're like i have seen it i've seen it happen i know i'm capable of this so that and that opened doors for me too yeah i mean that script was hilarious it was well structured it was topical it was a rom-com about a couple that's trying to spice up their relationship and if if i'm butchering the log line i mean it was 10 11 years ago you, you tell me but it was about a couple that's trying to spice up their relationship and so they consider away the pros and cons of having a three-way correct yeah i mean no that, that's dead on like to me i always like to play with genre and so to me you know 
I was looking at the, I was like, what's, what makes it a romantic comedy? And I was like, well, it's about like when you're trying to find that special other person. And I was like, but yeah, what if it's two people trying to find that special other person? So it was sort of this romantic comedy between a, you know, a couple trying to find a third. And so like, it it was my way of like playing with the, the bones and tenets of genre, which became, and, and has continued to be sort of like the big cornerstone of, of my work and the stuff that I like. Um, and that was sort of, I think, a first, it wasn't my first foray into that, but it was maybe my first successful one of like taking a genre, pulling it apart a little bit, and then using it to have a conversation that felt resonant. You know, it was like, I remember writing that script was one of the first times that I felt conscious of like, how can this help an audience? Like what, what can they leave the theater being like that helped me work out questions I have around monogamy or, or sexuality? Like what, what is there, is there a way that I can bake into this like thoughts that could be helpful to other people? And I think that was part of why the script was at least marginally successful. In and did you, did you just write it like off intuition? Did you storyboard it? Did you card it? Did you outline it? Like, I guess what I'm asking God, is, I mean, I guess what I'm asking is like, you know, the first script I wrote, I didn't know there was Save the Cat and Dan Harmon's story circle. Like, I thought like, oh, you just like do it. You freestyle off your dome like Jay-Z and you cross your fingers. Um, So I'm curious, like what training you went into writing that script with because everyone responded so positively to it. Yeah, I mean, it's a long time ago now. And obviously those were the, the projects where I think I was really cutting my teeth in terms of you know, as a storyteller and in terms of process and the things that work and the things that don't. And, and I'm sure I did a lot of stuff then to write that one that I would never do now. You know, I've never been the hugest proponent of like three act structure stuff. I I think it it can be very helpful. I think it can be really dangerous. Um, I think, you know, the analogy I sometimes use is it's sort of like if you were trying to make a human body and you were like, okay, so let's make a list of like, all the things that go, okay, you need a head and, and two arms and, and two legs. You got two eyes. And then you go collect all those parts in a bucket and you're like, okay, so is that a person? And it's like, no, that's, you've got a bucket of body parts. Like it doesn't make it, you know, like just because you can deconstruct something doesn't, I think the, the reverse engineering is like a little bit of a fallacy that if we can break it down into what it is, we can build it back up from that. I don't know that totally actually works in practice the same way. That being said, you know, Definitely, I went into it with an understanding of that sort of like Aristotelian three-act structure model. I'm sure that's sort of like baked into my DNA from being in writing school and and writing a lot of stuff. I absolutely am someone who loves index cards in some form. I just don't necessarily worry. You know, I think something that I've tried to do, and I can't say if I did it then, but I definitely have tried to do, you know, where I'm at in my writing now is like, stay connected to a more sort of like natural storytelling energy of just like what, you know, I think most of us know everything we need to know about what makes a story good. You know, like, is it boring? Is it emotional? Is it, you know, are there parts that are, that lag? Are there parts that are confusing? You don't need a structure to understand that. So, you know, as far as what I did then, I'm sure I carded it out a million times. Definitely. But I also, you know, I remember actually on that one, and this would be something that I would, I would do, you know, forever after was really focusing on 
the structure of the genre piece itself. Meaning like looking, I remember looking at the way that that script is constructed in terms of we have these two characters that form the relationship. Then they each end up connecting with a potential third. Like there's sort of this issue of like, I want to do it with him and I want to do it with her. And I remember like that telling me how the structure should be put together because there was an organic structure to the romantic comedy of it. You know, like I was following the structure of the genre more than I was the structure of like film storytelling. I'll shut up, but you, you get no, it. No, dude, it's, it's, it's so funny you say that. Like the first movie I wrote that got me a manager or an agent was I wrote it based off in my head, all of the movies and books that I had read and things that I had seen. Like, I, I just, I feel like you have an idea of how storytelling and movies should work from years of watching them. Um, if you're like a, a nut who's nutty enough to be like, I want to make this my profession. Um, sure. what I would love to do is, uh, jump ahead a little in time. Um, me, you and I meet where you're a staff writer on the show. I'm incredibly, yep. uh, enamored by your sense of humor. You ended up taking me to the hospital one night cause I, I yes, smashed I my head open, uh, with a duvet cover and a ceiling fan, which is a story for another time. The way, the way that you said that though, makes it sound like that was due to my eclectic sense of humor. <laughs> that, like, I love your sense of humor. You did end up taking me to the hospital that night. Like, so just to be clear, those are very unrelated thoughts. You, they are you unrelated. required a hospital visit, and I also have a charming and magnetic sense of humor. Yes. They, One they, does not forget the other. The two don't overlap. Um, Peter, I mean, I they did overlap because we laughed a lot. We did giggle a lot that night. We did. And then we had wonderful Mabu beef at Genghis Cohen, which shout out mm -hmm. Genghis Cohen. If you're listening, I would love a sponsorship. Um, oh, my God. Absolutely. Mabu beef in our basket. We have the meats. That's right. Genghis Cohen. We have the meats. We have the meats. Um, Peter, what I would love to hear about is when you started working with, um, I don't know if like talents the right way or respected producers, you know, was it, what was your first experiences or, or how did you deal with, or the, or what confidence did you take into these first few rooms that were opening up to you, whether it was Toby Maguire's production company or, um, you know, in later years working with Taika, like what are some things that, that, you know, cause I feel like all of us are sort of faking it in a way. <laughs> um, sure. How do you, how do you collaborate with people whom you look up to and respect and sort of, uh, you know, I just wanted to hear about that a little bit cause I think other people would find that interesting as well. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's a collaborative medium in its in its DNA, right? Like screenplays are meant to be template documents for film and television and for a lot of different departments. So like collaboration is the name of the game. Like I, I've never been a precious person or a precious writer, um, which isn't like some, you know, great uh, pat on the back to myself. It's just no, never it's so been important. quite it's so important. Yeah. Well, it's just like, I just don't, I truly like on my deepest levels don't care. Meaning like the thing that I really care about is like making something rad. I don't really care if I'm like, oh, but we ended up using his idea, not mine. So like, I think I definitely, I definitely come to collaboration in a pretty laid back way um, in terms. And that's also been like how I've run writer's rooms and things like that, you know, is very much, um, you know, uh, like I, I love welcoming people's talent to the party and, and let's make something, you know, we're a team, like we're a team and, and, and a rising tide sort of lifts all boats. I think, 
you know, I also know what my skill sets are and what I can bring to the party and what I can't. Um, and I, I think a lot of my skill sets and approaches to things in particular work really well for the like niche within the industry that I've chosen. Meaning when you work with, uh, with talent or when you work in a show running capacity or you're coming in to help, you know, at like doing a rewrite for like a studio movie that has like, whenever you're doing all of those things of which we've both done them all at this point, like, you know, I'm a pretty type a organized, like keep the trains running on time person. I definitely confront problems with work ethic and thoroughness. Like it's how I just sort of handle things. And so I think that's always been a nice, you know, what I often say about people that I've worked with, whether it's Taika or some others, is I'm like, we have very similar artistic, like, uh, tastes. The things that we like, our visions are very similar. And then our working styles and strengths are completely different and very complementary. You know, so I think I, I definitely know how to play my role a little bit. And I think part of that role is to get the best out of other people and to, and to create environments where people can do their best. You know, um, I'm a big fan of, this is a small recommendation, but if anyone ever knows the, the, the rules from Immaculate Heart Art Department, it's a famous thing. It was John Cage and Sister Corita Kent who ran a very famous art department uh, at a, a college called Immaculate Heart. And they posted these rules on the wall and I keep them on my desk most of the time. They're not here right now. For some reason, um, probably because I keep giving them away to people. But I, I always sort of come back to them. They're very simple. But one of them is that like the primary responsibility of a student is to pull everything out of their teacher, and the primary responsible responsibility of a teacher is to pull everything out of their student. And so I think I, I've approached collaboration a little bit that way. Of you know, how do I bring my best party, but also what can I do to set someone else up so that I can pull the best out of them? If that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, so I guess then I'll ask you, like, what have been some experiences that you have loved? Like, you know, you've worked on Halo, you're working on something with Jermaine Clement. Like what, what are some memories that you look back and you're like, I had no clue what I was doing, or I knew every exactly what I was doing. Like, just like, I guess I would ask you like in the past few years, what has been something that you were incredibly proud of and an experience, whether it was running a room or being in a room, I'm just sort of, um, so much of writing is like thankless and negative. I would love to hear about something that is incredibly like positive and, and people that you've loved working with. Yeah. I mean, I've had very few negative experiences, knock on wood. Like I've definitely had frustrations. I've certainly had a few bad experiences, but those feel, those were really the outlier, you know? I mean, I definitely have had the frustration of projects that I love deeply, you know, not going forward when I wanted them to. But in terms of, you know, most of this job has been a joy and I really, really do love it and wouldn't trade it for anything in the world, even for all of its headaches. You know, I think stuff over the past two years, yeah, I ran a writer's room for the first time. And I think that, you know, it was such a positive experience because it was a wonderful staff, but also anytime you leave a room and everyone loves each other, did great work, felt respected and wants to come back and do it again is like a big win in my book. Because obviously writers' rooms can be, um, they can be tricky environments. They also like can be really wonderful, warm environments. I've been in a couple of rooms now that um, 
you know, I've ever ran or sort of like been a number two on or had leadership positions. And those have been really healthy workspaces where I think people really did their best work. And those always have been unbelievably positive, like refreshing experiences, especially because writing can be very isolating. So when you have really good collaborative experiences, it's, it's pretty great. And so, yeah, no, I've done, I, you know, I've worked on a lot of stuff that I'm really proud of. I've worked on things that I'm really proud of that will probably never see the light of day, you know, or like, you, like you know, are just like, things that that's why, yeah. You know, like people, people, when they get up at the Oscars or the golden globes and they say like, Oh, it took me 10 years to get this made. It's not bullshit. Like it truly, everything no. is a roller coaster trying to push a, a boulder up a hill. It is. And it's amazing. Something that I do sometimes and I, I would encourage people to do is whenever you have any kind of a win, even if it's small, Try and see if you can track back to how that really started. Because I do this all the time and it's always mind blowing because it's, and I don't mean like I sold this thing and it started when I like, I talked to these producers and they came on board this project. Okay. How'd you know those producers? And it's like, well, I got introduced to them by this other thing. How'd you know that thing? It's well, that was from this guy and that was from this thing. And that was this meeting from 10 years ago. We knew each other and we tried that thing. There was a false start. And then we did, and it's like, it always is this true product of like many years of bizarre, small stars aligning and false starts and failures that, and so it's a really good exercise because it always like, it's like a six degrees to Kevin Bacon, whatever I'm like, and I sold this thing and it's a big show and it's a big splashy package. And it comes back to being like, well, the way this started really is it all starts with that day that like my gaslight came on and I had to go stop my friends. You know, like, it's like, craziness but it yeah. shows how difficult you know and those i think are the, when people talk about writing i think those are often the things that get swept under the rug in the narrative of success is being like well i pitched it and then i sold it and you're like there's this is a much larger conversation about yeah like this thing that know. i'm working on now it's it's because i met a comedian 10 years ago and remained friends with him and always wanted to find something to do with him and it never happened and false starts and blah, 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 and like you know, we were talking on the phone a month ago and I just like said two words and he was like, oh my God. And and so much of it happens that way. Um, totally. And then that narrative will get simplified to being like, so me and my friend have wanted to do this thing and we're here pitching to you. And it like misses this part where you're like, this could actually be a four hour long story about how we developed something else many years ago and that didn't happen, whatever, you know, it's, it's just an, un, you know, not saying it's like a numbers game, but like it is the work of years and tremendous amounts of irons in the fire and you do kind of fail upwards we talked about the writer's room for a second peter and that you ran a room you've been in rooms i think what would be so helpful is and interesting is like what what can you give as advice to first-time staff writers you know like when i started it was like the advice i was given was like be a cheerleader to your boss the showrunner and if you notice that he's running in a certain direction or he or she or they are running in a certain direction and even if you don't agree with it help them get in the direction they're going because it's their show. Obviously, as you become more confident and if you really think something's going to like blow something up, say it in a very diplomatic, respectful way. But yeah, what else can you, can you tell staff writers or first time staff writers as they enter their first writer's rooms? Yeah. You know, it's sort of the same way I feel about like structure stuff where I'm like, it's a lot of common sense and not getting your head in a twist. Cause I think especially when you're, when you're starting out, there's, you know, there's a wealth of information and advice out there of dubious quality. Um, 
you know, particularly in some of the sort of uh, like new writer circles, there can just be a, it can be an echo, echo chamber that isn't necessarily being participated in by people who really know what they're talking about. And so I think people can sometimes come into a room incredibly anxious about a, a degree of like unwritten rules they think they should be, uh, they should be observing. And the reality is it's a lot simpler, which is like, be nice, work really hard, be as helpful as you can be, bring your voice to the room that is the reason that you got hired and and do the work, right? Like, again, this is just sort of me, but like I generally, you know, work ethic is the thing that I will lean on with something. And so if I was a, a first time staffer trying to succeed in a room, instead of being so worried about like some sort of unspoken etiquette in the room or or hierarchy, the best thing I would do is I would take a lot of time outside of the room to prepare pitches, read drafts, study up, and I, and come armed with that. And then you follow the flow of the room, right? Like you, it's very difficult to teach someone to like, if you're someone who is generally socially aware, can read a room in a basic way, you're going to be fine. Yeah. You know, like if you're someone who's like, yeah, I have no uh, ability to recognize that, a room is going in one direction on an idea and I come storming them with something totally different. It's like, there's not a whole lot I can do to help you understand. Yeah. But, we, but I've met those skills, people too and worked with some of them. It's crazy. <laughs> totally. And, and by the way, you know, there's a lot of neurodiversity in creative fields. And I've also worked with writers who that might be a particular blind spot for them. And they have incredible strengths that they can offer to a room and find a way to, to, to fit with. So it doesn't mean that you have to be, you have to have like a certain personality type. It's more like if you have the basic skills to kind of survive in any sort of social environment without being destructive, you're going to be fine in a writer's room and, and kindness and work ethic will take you everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, being yeah. a, being a first time showrunner is much harder. Like being a first like, field, take us there. Peter. Well, no, I just mean, I mean, that was something where I had to, when I was getting ready to do it for the first time, had to solicit a ton of advice from showrunners on how to do it because it felt like a much more fragile, you know, you're really dictating the room. So there's a lot of room for error when you're a first time staff writer, as long as your showrunner isn't a monster, there's a flow for you to follow and to get yeah. into, yeah. you know, and, and your job is to make clay and their job is to sculpt it. You know, when you're the person running it, it felt like a much bigger challenge or not challenge, but like you, you're, there's a, it's a much larger responsibility. Absolutely. And I think, you know, uh, I've seen it done very well. I've seen it done. Eh. And when it was my turn, even though we had a wonderful, you know, uh, a showrunner adult in place, Peter Knight, he was very adamant about like, this is your guy's show and I'm going to get you a few reps and show you how it's done. But like, then I'm going to take my hands off the bike and sort of <laughs> let you yeah. go. Um, and I, and I totally agree with what you're saying. And I, I find that if you are, if you work hard and like you nurture a great environment, people are going to want to show up to work and, and give you their best, even if it's on zoom, which so much of it has been in the past two years. Um, totally. Do you want to, you want to know the best piece of show running advice I got? Please. Cause I, when I, again, like I confront things with study. So when I was getting ready to show run, I called every showrunner I knew being like, tell me all your advice, tell me everything. And this, I credit that this is goes to Carter Bays who co-created How I Met Your Mother and is a phenomenal writer who I've worked with a bunch. And I, he and Craig Thomas, we went out and they, they bought me a drink and they gave me showrunning advice. And then Craig gave me great advice too. 
But Carter said this one thing, he goes, because I was talking about the balance of you want to have a clear vision for the show, but you also don't want to be, you also want to welcome people's ideas, you know, you, you, and, and how do you find that balance? And he goes, here's what it is. Ready? You're the bride. And I was like, okay. And he goes, you're the bride, meaning you don't want to be a bridezilla, but at the end of the day, it's still your fucking wedding. And I was like, that is one of the clearest understandings of show running that anyone had given me. And it really helped. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, and I, I find that it's become so, you know, we made season two of Fairfax over zoom and it was more challenging, but I find that it's, it is more challenging to read the flow of the room and, you know, and also being in front of a computer can be so distracting because you have the, the entire internet at your fingertips. Sure. But, um, I think that's great advice. Be a bride. That's incredible. Yeah, you're the bride. Also, all my rooms have been Zoom, with the exception of Hackula and the one that you and I met on. No, all the, the really, yeah. What about Halo? They haven't. Well, uh, that was on Zoom, and it, it's per, it's for a couple reasons. The main thing is I was very avoidant of staffing for most of my career, and have only started doing it more in the past two years or so. Mm. You know, um, and so that. Uh, was a primarily Zoom landscape. So there was my show, and then I was on Halo, and then I was on a show for Amazon called Night Beast, and those were all Zoom rooms. And so now it's obviously changing, but yeah, I I did the Zoom thing. Peter, take us through uh, just sort of the process of, or tell us a little bit about the tour and the room you ran and the, and the project itself, because I think people would love to hear about it, and I think it's such a cool project. Um, yeah. Please. For sure. Yeah. So the auteur, for those unfamiliar, which is probably going to be everybody, the auteur is a, uh, a, yeah, I mean, well, no, I mean, it wasn't a very like, you know, it, it was a comic by Rick Spears and, and Jim Callahan. It's a phenomenal comic uh, that was put out by Oni Press. Uh, it was very short. You know, there was like two arcs, each of five issues. Uh, I had stumbled upon it and just loved it. It was this incredibly wild Hollywood sort of like psychedelic bloody satire like it was like all of the filth of hollywood laid bare in this very like technicolor way all the sort of like hollywood babylon excesses and that kind of thing and but i was just a fan like i had no relationship to the book i didn't control it i uh met with jude law's producing partner a guy named ben jackson <coughs> and we were just talking and he was like yeah you know we love this stuff we love comics and i was like you know if you like comics one I always recommend to people in the industry is this thing called the auteur because you'll get a kick out of it. And he was like, oh, cool, cool, cool. And he called me a month later and was like, yeah, so like I bought it and read it and loved it and gave it to Jude and he read it and he loved it. So like you guys should sit down. And I was like, I don't really know what we're sitting down about, but sure. Like, like at this point, I was like, we are a book club. Like I'm in a book club with Jude Law, two guys who read a book. <laughs> that's it. So, but he and I, we went, we met, we had breakfast and he was like, yeah, I'm in. And I was like, you're in what, bro? Like, I don't have a show for you. But I left the meeting and I called my agents and I was like, I think I just attached Jude Law to the O tour. And they were like, what's the O tour? And I was like, yeah, we got to make a few calls. So we kind of backed our way into it. We like, went and talked to the rights holder and started to assemble this. And then my manager also reps Taika YTT. And so he was like, what do you think about this for Taika? And I was like, I mean, there'll be a dream. And so we brought it to Taika and he came on board and, you know, we brought some studios on and the whole rigmarole and we sold it to Showtime and opened up a writer's room in like April of 2020, I want to say. Like this was like prime COVID, like yeah. the beginning of, you know, I used to go to like to leave the house to go Zoom for the writer's room. I would be like 
in like so, like masks. I was wearing like blue latex gloves. Like it was crazy. So when we were washing um, our vegetables, yeah. Oh yeah, no, it was it was that time, but it was amazing. It was an incredible room. I was very um, deliberate about staffing because for like a lot of what sometimes looks like my work ethic is also just my sort of like ineptitude showing. And like I not being someone who had staffed for years, I didn't have that feeling of like that I sort of do now where you staff a show and you like call your closest friends or like you call the people that you've worked with in other rooms. Like you had that, that working network. I didn't have that. So I was like, I need to read and meet every single writer in Hollywood, you know? So I read just, I literally read hundreds of samples. Like I read, I did the thing that no one does and no one really should do, which is like, I read the whole staffing grid, you know, like when they put that in and they're just like, here's, 500 writers and we did have i know this because the studio told me we and it's because of taika and jude like we had an inordinate a well above average amount of submissions for staffing like three times what a legendary show was normally getting like it was crazy and i was the weirdo who was like i'll read them all and so and then i met with like everybody like i met and like, if anyone listens to your podcast chances are i met them for staffing. like i met the whole town and it was a really, it was a great experience. I mean, I learned a ton and met a ton of really cool people, even people that I wasn't able to hire. But I really was, it, I was so nervous. I was so nervous about putting together a room and I wanted to be really intentional about it. And particularly, you know, uh, about that number two spot, right? Which is so important. They were gracious enough to let me uh, run the show as a first time showrunner with out a big staffing history, which was like a really big show of faith from the studios. But like part of that was like, yeah, but you gotta get a good number two. And as all writers know, that can be a very stressful position part to cast because you're looking for someone who has an incredible resume and incredible chops and who also is generous and collaborative and all that stuff. And I was having trouble finding that person. And then they were the last people I hired, um, Ames and Turner, Steve Turner and Jen Ames, uh, incredible writing team incredible showrunners phenomenal phenomenal cannot say enough good things about them they've become very dear friends but they were the last people that i hired it was really tough to find that that role and then and so that room was incredible it was very efficient it sort of had to be because it was like the covid How long you know had, had hit well covid had hit everyone's budgets really hard so prior to um again i'm being sort of candid about numbers but i don't i, don't, I think that's a healthy thing to do Prior to COVID, because I was in LA like January and February of that year staffing in person, like no COVID. And being the plan was to have this like 16 or 20 week room in LA, an in-person room. I was like so jazzed on this. I had picked out a restaurant for the kickoff drinks. Like I was so What psyched. restaurant did you pick, by the way? I picked Formosa because Formosa I thought that Cafe. would be a perfect, like it's got all of the pictures. Like that would be like a nice old Hollywood kind yeah. of. Place, very LA you know? confidential, a lot of history. Exactly. Like, and I, I was like such a dork that I was like picking out the, I was like the dinner, you know what I mean? Uh, like I was very close to like, you know, buying everyone binders. Like I was like so into it. And then I came home to New York having just done this big staffing run and that's when everything shut down. And Showtime to their credit, they didn't really skip a beat on moving forward with the show, but they literally went from being like, it's a 20 week room in person to being like, how would you feel about like a two week room on Zoom? And I was like, what now? I think they actually, God love them. And they've been amazing collaborators, but they did, I think, actually suggest two weeks at one point. As how, like long, a big how, long, how long did the room go for? It ended up going for, here's what we did. We did 
five weeks on Zoom. And then I broke. So what we did was we did, it's an eight episode season. We did eight approved outlines in five weeks. And then we did eight scripts in 12. So the room basically, like I had assigned everything out by the room close. And then people worked, you know, outside of the room on episodes. Um, And so it was an incredible room. It was me. It was Steve and Jen. Uh, it was Diana Demijohn, uh, who most recently was sort of the co-creator of the Dune series. It was Joanna Callow, who, who you know, who was co-showrunner of The Bear. Uh, yep, it was yep. Katya McMullen, Katya McMullen, incredible writer who I went on and worked with again, and Rick Spears, who created the comic. So it was a really, um, it was a really skilled and experienced room, which was great for me as a first-time showrunner because I had a lot of support. Hell yeah! So where is the project now? What's up with it? When do we? What, like, Good what, question. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a tricky, like, the short version is there's always been a ton of enthusiasm around the show from the people that are making it and the people that bought it. You know, it's got a lot of fancy people attached to it from Taika and Jude, and it's it's a big, expensive, wild, crazy show. And so scheduling that has been the primary hurdle of finding a time to sort of align those stars. So I'm hopeful for 2023 as a time when we can do that. I'm, I'm you know, have some calls right now to figure out some of those things but it's just it's like maneuvering a cruise ship it doesn't exactly like turn back and forth very fast and so you know it's tricky it's a tricky thing and especially because it's like it ain't cheap at all No, i know it took fairfax like four and a half years to get made yeah it's it's like it's a lot of hurry up and wait and then it's a lot of wait and then suddenly you're like behind you know and in pre-production so we'll see well, Peter, I hope it gets made. I so appreciate you talking to me about your journey as a writer and some of the stuff you have worked on. Um, I love you, dude. You're the greatest. Uh, everybody, keep your eyes peeled for the auteur. If you don't get a chance to see it, you should go read it because it is an awesome comic. Um, Peter Warren, everybody, he's available for staffing. He's in New York, <laughs> but he can be in L.A. at the drop of a hat. That's true. That's true. But thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I love you, bud. 